Isn't it? We're on. <laughs> Good morning. When, when I was a boy growing up, stop laughing, will you? <laughs> I haven't even started. When I was a boy growing up in a Pentecostal church, we sang hymns to an old pedal organ, a reed organ. And the organ was played by a little old gray-haired lady. I think every church had one. (coughs) And things gradually changed over a few decades. And with much resistance, we transitioned from the pedal organ to a piano. Wow, piano. And uh, we transitioned from hymns through choruses and scripture and song to more current expressions of praise and worship and declarations to God. And as time progressed, our, our instrumentation changed as well. We went from the, from the pedal organ to the piano to an electronic organ, and um, then we had acoustic guitars and, and horror of horrors, you know, drums, and, <laughs> and then electric guitars and loud music. <laughs> And you know what? I loved it all. I, I loved that change. I saw those changes as, as not as some people saw as a slide down into the world and picking up God, ungodly habits. I saw it as just a, an expression of utilizing what God put in our hands and also uh, allowing him to bring inspiration uh, from his, the fresh creativity that he gives us day by day, and he gave songs to people, and we were able to express those and stay relevant to the generation that we were part of. This morning, I, I want to read a, uh, a description of worship in heaven that the Apostle John wrote. You'll know, some of you, that it's in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm just going to read this little part. He saw a whole lot more than that. And understand, I am not a theologian. I'm not going to try and uh, ex, ex, expose, exposit, <laughs> expound <laughs> um, what it's all about. But I want us to have a look at this. Paul said to the Ephesians uh, in chapter 1, he said, I'm always praying for you that God will, uh, how did he put it, that God will... In, Enlighten the eyes of your heart to understand, and he went on, but basically to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And I'm praying that for us this morning. And so as we read this word, I pray that we will allow the power and the creativity of God's word, because it's powerful and it's creative, allow that to touch us, allow that to ignite our imagination. Allow it to, to um, stir our spirit. Allow it somehow to enlighten our understanding. It's, it's not just words. You've probably read through Revelation before and said, that's too hard, don't understand it. Well, let's read it with fresh eyes this morning. Start in Revelation chapter 4, we'll pick up what John was saying. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat on it had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. We'll leave it there for the moment. That's uh, a bit of a challenge for John. How on earth do you describe God in heaven? So John has no experience of most of what he's seeing, so he explains in the best way that he can what he's seeing as it unfolds in front of him. But imagine John or somebody else in the first century looking at something in the 21st century and then going back and telling the people what he'd seen. How on earth do you go back and describe, well, fashion? (laughs) (laughs) Aeroplanes, motor vehicles, motorways, computers. What a challenge. So bear with John, okay? Don't just trash what he said, uh, but let's try and understand what he's telling us. An emerald rainbow, first thing. How many of us have seen an emerald rainbow? Mm -hmm. Okay. Why shouldn't God have an emerald rainbow? God made the rainbow that we have. Came from him. He can make them any color he wants. And in any combination, he's an emerald rainbow. And you know what? It says to us, and it encircled God's throne. It wasn't arched over it. It encircled, which means it was a circular rainbow. How about that? I love God's creativity. I love the way God does things. He doesn't do things the way we expect. And the problem when we read through scriptures like this, often we just, it's too hard. And we don't allow God to touch us and to expand. How do you think that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten us? I want us this morning then to imagine. And imagination is good. It's a gift from God. We can use it for good or we can use it for evil like every gift that God gives. Use your imagination. That means get an image in your mind of what God is saying and what he's doing. Verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 24 elders. Well, I suppose it wasn't too hard to see. They probably had long white beards and white hair. And they had white clothes. White clothes. What kind of clothes were they? What do you think? Are we getting a bit cagey now? You're not going to tell me they were robes, were you? Because maybe they weren't robes. You know, robes we we expect because, you know, in John's time and for centuries before, that's all people wore in that part of the world. He'd probably never seen anything else. But tell me, why could it have not been perhaps white suits? If John had seen them, he wouldn't have probably been able to describe them. So he just said clothing. I'm not saying they were, but why not? 
this, you see, is a slice of eternity that John's describing. And I wonder if, if, I wonder if God thinks, like so many people think, that robes are the holiest of clothing. We laugh, but you know, why do all the ecclesiastical churches, for instance, over the centuries, why have they worn them? Yeah, that. Anyway, I just wonder about whether God thinks that. Maybe He does, but maybe because He's the author of all creativity, because God loves variety and diversity, because He created every single one of us uniquely individual and individually unique, maybe there is some other expression of clothing. In heaven. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. You know, if you think Peter Jackson, that's the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg and other producers um, have spectacular visual effects in their movies. Remember that their creativity and that of all their team is just a drop in the bucket compared to God. Sorry, it's a drop in the ocean compared to God's. God is the author of creativity. God spoke and everything that is came. Can't get more creative than that. You know, people spend thousands of dollars on home theater systems. And I don't know if anyone here did that. I'm not picking on you. It's all, it's okay. <laughs> um, and sound systems, you know, and, and watch movies that have cost millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to make in some cases. And you know what? Their sound and visual effects are just a poor imitation of what goes on in heaven. Seven lamps burning. Lightning and thunder. Because John had never seen the movie, The Lord of the Rings, or one of the Star Wars movies. He didn't have anything to go on to explain. So he's telling us in the best way that he knows. But can you imagine him there? And there's lightnings, there's light flashing. And they're probably not just white, it's colors and stuff. It's flashing and the thunder is... The Maybe there were loudspeakers. Some I don't know. They don't need physical ones, but there were loudspeakers. And all this noise is making. <laughs> and John's looking around. He's trying to explain it. Verse six. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. It looked like glass. It looked like crystal, but. Called it the sea. I, I wonder if it was wet. I wonder if it was liquid. Well, the creatures walked on it, and maybe the thrones <coughs> of the 24 elders, some of them may have sat on it. <coughs> but why couldn't it have been liquid? Jesus walked on water. That's nothing to God. Just trying to get your imagination working so that God can put some things in your heart this morning. <clears throat> Doesn't matter, of course, whether it's liquid or not, does it? That's not the issue. And uh, he goes on and says, 
In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Oof, I didn't see that. I'm trying to explain it. This, this is amazing. It's fascinating. Living creatures. Six wings. I, I love that. Six wings. Most things that we know have got two wings. And they can fly pretty well. Birds and aeroplanes. Um, <clears throat> some insects have got four. But six. I wonder how they coordinate them. I wonder what happened when they were learning to fly. Watch me. <laughs> it's hard enough trying to coordinate two legs sometimes, isn't it? Let alone six wings. And eyes. I love that. Eyes. If you thought you had a problem with your mother, seeing what you were doing when she was facing the other way, imagine having one of these guys looking after you. <coughs> eyes in front, eyes on their backs, eyes on their sides. And get this, even under their wings. So do they fly? I've got to believe they do, because God doesn't make things... To frustrate us. He doesn't make things that don't work. God makes things that are perfect. So even if it only used two wings, it doesn't matter. It would have flown. Anyway, if, if they didn't fly, if they didn't stretch those wings, how would you know that they had eyes underneath? See, eyes are for seeing. Eyes are for vision. And with that many eyes covering them, there's something amazing, isn't there, about these creatures. They somehow see and understand in a dimension that we have no understanding of. And how could John describe that, even if he himself understood it? He went on and says, Day and night, these creatures never stop saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive honor and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Wow. Because these immensely powerful creatures, and I say that in the hierarchical sort of way because they're the closest to the throne, because they're so frequently breaking out into expressions of worship, it's probably because of the incredible vision that they have. And as they prowl and fly around the throne, they are seeing something of who God is all the time. There's some new facet of his amazing being, his character, his presence. And, and they are conveying that as they speak, what they're seeing. And you know what happens? Those 24 elders are willingly compelled. I know that's an oxymoron, but there you go. They are willingly compelled to worship God. Take their crowns off. We are so not worthy. We are worship. 
Almighty God. From John's account here, we might think that this is all that happens all the time. And I know some people who think that. They think that's, that's it. That's what happens in heaven. Don't particularly want to get there. But it's evident that this that we're reading about is a special occasion. I think it's a very formal occasion. And I'm sure there are many, many millions of informal occasions in heaven. But this is formal. This is part of a sequence of events that are happening, and, and John outlines them through the book of Revelation. It's a snapshot of one tiny sliver of eternity. And even when we read the book, we may not understand it, but let's understand that. The people worry that John says that the creatures and the elders worship day and night, never stopping. They think, oh, really? That's all that happens. But, you know, John also tells us that there is no night. Think about that. So they can't worship day and night because there's no night. There is no darkness in heaven. God doesn't do darkness. God is light. And if the creatures were literally singing all of the time, at what point did the elders pick themselves up from their prostration, sit themselves back on their thrones, put their crowns back on their heads, ready to do it all over again? There's obviously a lot more going on here than John can possibly explain to us. But he's glimpsed eternity. He's glimpsed the infinite. He's glimpsed the new reality. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5 and pick up at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. Yeah, I'll read that and I'm going to sing the song that we sing here. <laughs> Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Or however it goes. <laughs> uh, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Angels. One or two. In John's estimation, something like a hundred million. And they were the designated choir for this sequence of events. A hundred million. How many people like hearing choirs? Well, it's probably an acquired taste. I just thought of that. Sorry. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, a hundred million angels. You all want to sit there and listen to that all Day. No, there's no day. You want to sit and listen to that forever. Ah. Verse 13. <clears throat> then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. And ever. This is incredible stuff. You know, if we didn't know better, we would think John was just talking about people, but he's not. He's talking about every living creature. I found one on the floor in my bathroom this morning. How it got there, I haven't the foggiest idea. It was a slug. It's going to be singing. 
found a frog in the house yesterday. Well, some frogs do sing. Did you know that? Mice sing. Did you know that? Whales sing. Did you know that? Of course. Yeah, we know that. Birds sing. Well, not the screechy ones so much, but the songbirds. Have you ever heard them just singing on a beautiful day? They are not just singing to communicate with their mates. They are singing for the joy of being. And it seems to me that some of this is left over from when sin entered the world and didn't destroy creation, but it limited it. And what John is seeing here is something incredible and amazing and way beyond our experience. And we just say, oh, you're crazy. No, he's not. God showing him something and he's accepting it and receiving it and writing it down as if it's true because it is. But wait, there's more. Revelation 7. Verse 9, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Wow. John's not even going to try to estimate this crowd. (laughs) You know, a hundred million angels was big enough for him. But this is... Every tribe, every nation, every country, every language group is represented. He understands that. But he also understands what they are saying. He hears them speaking. Now tell me, do they all speak in their own language and it's all translated and everybody hears it in their language? Or maybe they've all automatically know a new heavenly language because they're there. Are they all speaking the same language? I don't know. Does it matter? I know with our computers, our puny technology compared to who God is, our computers can translate one language to another immediately, accurately, fast. What can God do? He's the author of all that technology technological know-how and what's more all the electronic stuff that makes it work comes from him nothing's too difficult for him it's just us in our limited thinking and understanding oh there's another thing here I don't know about you but it seems to me that their praise and their worship expression although it's beautiful it's, it's rather limited. It's kind of like the same three or four sentences that they're all saying in slightly different ways. And, and you think, well, you know, is, is that all the praise and worship in heaven? We sang more different things this morning in our worship. Well, you know, if we think that these words that were 
presented to us this morning in there is the sum of all the praise and worship that's offered to God. People who are in the presence of the source of all inspiration and creativity, then we are badly misjudging, vastly underestimating worship in heaven. John just gives us a a couple of seconds of eternity. And what happens is we, in our limited, finite minds, we extrapolate that to be everything that happens in heaven. He's just giving us a little wee slice. Just to whet our appetite. Now there's another challenge. You think God is just a God of white? Hmm? You didn't think so. Now the people that he described, that John described here, were wearing white robes, and we understand about that. We understand that the white robes represent the righteousness of Christ. So we're standing there and basically our robes saying, this is not my, you know, I've done nothing to get here. This is all Christ's doing. That's what the white is representing. But I can't believe, you know, as as an artist, as, as somebody who loves to use and see and experiment with color, I can't believe for a moment that everything's going to be white and gold in heaven. Have you ever watched a parade on TV of different nations perhaps or maybe when it's the start of the, um, the Olympics or something like that and all these people come in in their national costumes and it's just amazing, isn't it? It's just beautiful. It's, it's such a, uh, a fantastic variety of design and, and texture and color. The whole parade is just vibrant with creativity. You know what? Color belongs to God. Color comes from God. All color is contained in white light, isn't it? How many of us did that little experiment at school and broke up white light through a prism and saw the colors of the rainbow? Well, it's only a few of the colors that are around. We're talking about heaven here, in the presence of God who is light. In God dwells all the colors that exist because God is light. All right, think about it, but it's true. And let me suggest that at appropriate times in heaven, the clothes that we are wearing will appear as white. But at at other times, they will reflect the millions of hues and colors and patterns of light that emanate from God's radiant presence. That's who God is. Like I said, it's easy to assume that what John's describing here is the totality of heaven and its experiences. But it's not only foolish to think that. I believe it's insulting. It's insulting to the creator of everything that exists in and beyond the universe. We don't know how time as we know it 
is going to be measured because time doesn't exist in eternity. With no night, I guess we could understand how a day could seem like a thousand years or a thousand years is a day to God, but we can't grasp with our minds. I can't. I don't know if you can. I can't grasp the enormity, the infiniteness, the infinity of eternity. Can you? Every time I try to think about that, it goes blank and it falls over. <laughs> Nor can we grasp the infinitely creative possibilities that God has waiting for us. If you read these scriptures again later, you'll discover that we probably haven't even appeared in the story yet. Probably depends on what you believe about the tribulation and all that. And I don't want to go in there. But whether or not we are part of that crowd who've been through the tribulation, whether we haven't yet appeared in heaven, we're going to be there. We are all going to be there for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's looking forward to that? Yeah. I know some of you are just looking forward to the supper of the Lamb. <laughs> but it is going to be the most amazing event. You know, there, there are celebrities around the world who've got more money than cents, and, and they throw parties, or they have weddings, and they actually spend tens of millions of dollars on them, and they have these lavish affairs and, and feasts for the people that they invite. Well, I want to tell you, compared to what God's preparing for us right now, the most lavish provision ever seen in one of these do's is going to really just be like crushed wheat bricks in dishwater. <laughs> you wouldn't want that, would you, for your lunch? But that's how it would be in comparison. And you know what? God will not have to hire a famous band or pop singers. He won't have to install a pipe organ, especially for the occasion. Music is built in. It's there. In fact, I believe we'll be part of it. See, when I was preparing this message, I, I had to ask God to open my mind to give me some, just a little download of some of the things so that I could talk about it a bit better and I believe he did and I believe that when we're in heaven we're going to just pick up a guitar it wasn't there a moment ago till I thought about it that I'll pick it up and whether or not I've played it before I'm just going to begin playing and I'm going to play with such skill and accuracy I'm going to have such chords and 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 um, harmonics that even people who are skilled in this world will look on in amazement. And what's going to happen is that somebody else is going to pick theirs up. And someone else is going to think of, maybe they thought of a pipe organ. Oh, wow. And they're going to get on that. And they're going to be able to play. And, and this amazing music is going to start lifting towards God. And then somebody like, probably Pastor Sam tomorrow who told us on Wednesday night that he can't sing and that people laugh at him because he can't sing probably Sam or someone like him is going to start singing and he's going to be singing in perfect pitch and what he's singing is a new song nobody's heard it before 
But suddenly all these people are coming and they're all joining in because they know the song perfectly. They never heard it before. And what is happening is the most beautiful garment of praise is being woven in front of the throne. And the song flies to Jesus. The garment of praise wraps itself around him. And he's honored. And he responds with the most wonderful smile of love and acceptance and grace. Don't ever let the enemy of our souls plant the lie in our mind that life in heaven in the presence of the eternal omnipotent God will ever be boring. Will not. Every day, if we can use that term, will be different from the last. New facets of God's awesome holiness and love, His generosity, His grace will be seen. These facets, like the facets on a cut diamond, and they'll be seen in mega technicolor. And you know what will happen? Just out of us will flow spontaneous symphonies of praise and worship to our God. We'll live in expectation of daily revelation and daily discovery. It's just how it's going to be. We know this has been fantastic, but there's more. But every scene and every interaction and every experience will always elicit gratitude and worship of our God. You know what? If life in heaven is like this, how should we live life on earth now? Mm. Why do we insist, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember who was preaching, why do we insist on wearing the glasses of the past to view the future? Why do we limit ourselves from our past failures that prevent us from ever imagining ourselves being successful. We need to open our minds to the possibility of creative miracles and provision. We just heard about one this morning. Week by week, we stand before we give our tithes and offerings. And we make these declarations, and to many of us at the time, they are words on the screen. They might have even got as far as our mind, but they haven't got to our heart. We have to start believing that God is good and that God is for us and that the things he has are not just in the future in future and eternity, but they're here for us now and in the future that's just ahead of us, around the corner. Thank you, Jesus. We need to open our minds to the reality that God wants to use us and things that we've never done before. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? That God will use us. In ways that he's never done before. He tells us that before the foundation of the earth, he prepared good works for us to do. He doesn't explain what they are, because for every person they'll be different, but He's got it there ready for us and we're not even thinking 
that we can possibly do anything else for God. And we're missing out, and so is he, and so are the people who would be blessed. But as we start believing that he'll use us, we'll start bringing heaven down to earth, not just for us, but for all the people who God has put into our world. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that you are such a good God. Thank you, Father, that your intention for us is for good. Your intention for us is to partner with you, the creator of the universe. And I pray, Lord, that these things we've spoken about this morning will, will quicken our hearts and our minds, will excite our spirit enough that we will begin to really seek you, Lord. To see beyond the words that we say, the words that we, we read, the words that we sing. To believe that you love us, irrespective of what happened yesterday or this morning. You love us, and you love those around us, and you want us involved with them. Open our hearts and our minds, I pray, Lord, to those new possibilities. Because you are with us. You are in us. You go before us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And for this we thank you, our God. Amen.